0: Coming up on the pod, Cody Ajada, Matt Olsen, Alicia Carnavas, Women's World Cup.
1: That's right after this.
0: everyone and welcome to the Front Page Football Podcast. My name is Cody Ajita. I will be your host today, taking over from regular host Christian Marchetti. Joined with me is a regular co-host of mine, Matt Olsen. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, it's incredible. We're, we're hosting a World Cup and I'm very keen to, to get into that.
0: And I think we're all keen to get into that. And joining us as well today, a very special guest, um, regularly on SEN, currently helping out with um, country duties as well during the Women's World Cup. Alicia Carnavas, I've probably sold you a bit short, Alicia, as well, but how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Ah, the pleasure is definitely all ours. Um, To get started, we are going to cover as much as we can from this whole World Cup because what a fantastic tournament it's been so far. But just to get started, we will just focus on the Matildas for a little bit. And what an opening game that was, actually. 1-0 against Ireland. Definitely gave it to us. Definitely made it hard <laughs> for us. Um, Matt, I thought to you first. Any thoughts on the game, any general comments you want to make?
1: Oh no, look, you're always you're always gonna be a little bit under the weather uh without Sam and, and it was something that uh, from my understanding, you know, being you know made aware to the players beforehand, um, going into a game like that, right? But it obviously completely changes the way that the spectacle was set up to be. Um and that's probably the one thing that a lot of people are a little bit uh you know, disappointed by. But it's not to say that the girls didn't step up and play play a really beautiful game, right? I think I think they handled the occasion as good as you can. And when you're on the front foot against a team like Ireland, you know, you've you've got to handle that pressure a certain way and they, they did that. So they were fortunate enough to obviously get the goal. Steph was always gonna put that, that penalty away and, and I'm glad we got the scenes that we wanted to get, because the the vision of them sort of running and celebrating. Um apparently Steph was running out to some of the old Matildas that had been, been sitting at the stadium as well. So just that entire vibe is was, was exactly what we needed and Glad New Zealand got, got their win as well, just on that. But, yeah, no, it was what we we needed to happen, basically.
0: I am definitely going to ask you about that New Zealand win later, but we will focus on the Matildas. And, look, Sam Kerr, um, that absence was definitely a major headline, um, especially around some sports journalists, maybe outside of football. Definitely had some comments on it. Alicia, I'm going to put this one to you because it did create a bit of controversy. Obviously, the Matildas were made aware of it the night before. Ireland didn't find out until well, I guess the rest of the world found out as well. And thus, spend of are in the works for their own preparations. But it's one a good thing for us because it it helps us. They would have to kind of rework. We 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 have at least that day two plan without Sam Kerr. I think Courtney Vine found out she was starting day of. But um, look, you've worked in media a lot longer than what me and Matt have. One, does the media have any right to actually know about something like this so early? And two. That absence that Sam Kerr had, did it? Do you think it had as much as an, of an effect on the Matildas and Ireland as maybe we're making it out to be, or has it been a bit overblown?
2: Yeah, look, um, double edged sword, isn't it? Because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So if you're Tony Gustafson in that space, and I guess the team in and around the Matildas, and then the nucleus that's in and around Sam Kerr, um, that type of news is a coach's worst nightmare going into a home world cup. Um, obviously she is the star not only for the Matildas to a large degree, but she's the face of the World Cup as well. We've seen her everywhere and it being in Australia and New Zealand, there's a lot of Sam Kerr presence um, in and around the marketing as well. So, um, look, as far as media goes, I think it's the coach's prerogative and the team's prerogative to announce their team. And that for me, that team announcement, unlike other sports, is on the day with football. Um and in our case, when you arrive at the match and you're ready to do your comms and and communicate and broadcast this match, the team sheet pops up on the digital screen and we all found out at once. And the hush and then the chatter that erupted in the media scrum was huge. We were all just looking at each other like, Where's number twenty? I my initial thought was, Great plan, Tony. Vera would have planned around Sam and strategized very, very heavily around Sam Kerr. That would have been the Irish uh, defense. And I thought, wonderful, starter on the bench, awesome plan. And then the calf injury started to filter through and it just changed everything. So I think what's important to remember here is, um, and probably over the last three years, we've become very heavily reliant on Sam Kerr. Um, for a lot of our results and also a lot of our goals, which isn't a bad thing, but it, it does mean that people start to doubt the ability, perhaps, of other players who are perfectly capable of going out there and, and getting a result. Is it how they also planned uh, to do it without Sam? No, not at all, but they're professionals, right? You've got to be adaptable at that level.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's one thing Tony said actually after the game. Someone in the press asked him, and they said, is this kind of your answer to say, hey, we actually can do this without Seb Kerr? And he pretty much just said, yeah, this is the biggest question that's been hanging over our heads, and we've just answered it basically yep. in round one. So that's yep. only a good thing for us. So even in the press box, you guys didn't realise until a couple of minutes after the team T-sheets tea were announced that yeah. it actually was an injury and she wasn't just starting on the bench for tactical reasons.
2: Correct. I had um some familiar faces around me, Grace Gill and David Bashir on my right, and then ABC Radio to the left, which was Teresa Pelias, and we were just left to right bit of a tennis match. We we're in a bit of a, a shock. So look, it is what it is. And the, the key factor now is when she's back. Um and that's already getting mixed conversation. A lot of people are saying she won't be back for the World Cup. It's it's a an old footballer's injury and they're a two to four week recovery. On the contrary, Sam's like, I'll see you when we play Canada and Melbourne, you know? So we, we just have to wait it out and have full faith in, in the other girls at this stage to get the job done.
0: Well, either way, it does sound like she won't be there for Nigeria. I personally had calf injuries. They do suck. And talking about when you found out, I had a mate message me saying, oh, damn, Sam Kerr is not playing. What am I doing here? And I thought he was just trying to pull my leg. That's, that's how unserious I thought it was. I thought it was just a joke. But look, there were, there's, there's plenty more in that actual match to talk about. And probably one of my favorite things that I saw being in the stadium, of course, Alicia, you were there too, Matt. I'm sure you would have enjoyed it at the fan festival in Perth, I believe. The Hayley Rasso, Katie McCabe, um, battle Loved on. It. Loved uh, it. Fantastic. Yeah. Very much in the spirit of a World Cup where, yeah, look, it may not have been the most, um, flashy battle, may not have been the most technically or beautiful battle, but it was two people who, Kind of have that same mindset where it's like I will run through big brick walls for my country, perfectly yeah. lined up against each other, and in a way, it still was kind of a beautiful show. But Matt, look, I'll throw it to you as well. Um I'm sure you would have seen that battle as well. What do you make of that all?
1: It's 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 what I think. <laughs> you know, given that given that you know we're trying to sell women's football as a product more broadly with this World Cup, and we're obviously we're succeeding with the attendances and everything else. We also need that edge and we need those characters and we need the people that are actually gonna sell the product. It's exactly what Katie McCabe is is there to do, right? Um, inadvertently, of course, but, but by being sort of public enemy number one in that game and by a lot of her antics on the pitch in particular with that battle, um, the you know the the product was very well sold to a lot of people. A lot of people really winning it over. A lot of people really there for you know like like we say we needed Sam Kerr to be there for the marketability of it. Well, Katie McCabe was there for opposite for the opposite reason, right? Um, and I think that from that perspective, there was a lot that you could really you know be astounded by, just just with her coming coming across uh, you know like like someone that we're just there there to hate, right? So, in terms of the the physicality of it, I think a lot of people were won over by. Um, seeing how physical uh, a lot of these players can be, especially a player like Katie McKay playing a trade with Arsenal and, and all that. Um but yeah, just, just the the way that she's come across um, you know, and and, and been so physical um with her presence in that game. That's actually something that I think is really, really important and the net positive um would certainly be how I'd describe the impact um on the tournament and, and the game.
0: Um, Alyssa, I'm gonna steal your phrase. You mentioned double edged sword before. Um on the other end of that. Hailey Rasso has probably made um, herself a bit of an enemy in Ireland as well. To be fair, oh, we're talking yeah. about we're talking about the impact that um, Katie McCabe had on us, and I'm telling you now, I was frustrated seeing her play. I like, got it was obviously being a bit biased in that game, my view of the game. But if I'm got my journalism hat on, I definitely enjoyed it. Alicia, I can mm-hmm. tell you enjoyed it too. What else did you make of it?
2: I think it's really good to see. Number one, it, it makes for a good spectacle. Um, I actually bumped into Katie McCabe around the harbour that. On match day, had a good chat with her and Rusha Littlejohn. And, you know, they, I said, How are you feeling? You got Carpenter and Rasso. I asked the question straight out. She goes, I'm Irish. I'm ready. Like, nothing, no brainer. You know, that confidence, I love it. I really love it. And I, I think a lot of players can take from it as well. And I, I I admire it a lot. I didn't have that confidence as a player. And she's just oozes. Um, Leadership. She uses confidence and she's a world class player. So I enjoyed the matchup. Uh, the other matchup I thought that was really strong too was, um, Gorry and, uh, Denise O'Sullivan and Rusha Littlejohn, uh, with Kyra Cooney cross in there as well. Um, that was a really robust battle in the midfield and you could see Katrina Gorey getting quite physical towards the end of the match as well. She pretty much had a gut full, but credit to Ireland. We, don't see a lot of them playing as a team, as a unit. We see individual players around the world in, in world-class uh, leagues, but I thought they came out and they were very, very good at the offensive in terms of the offensive defence where they were snuffing out the Matildas and pressing quite high. And that rattled us a bit. There there are opportunities there that we would otherwise capitalise on, perhaps with Sam, but our distribution in certain I guess in the final third and certain times of the of the match, was a little bit loose as well. And, you know, we wouldn't ordinarily make those unforced errors, but I reckon it just came down to the pressure that Ireland put on us.
0: That pressure that Ireland put on us was massive, actually. And I'm not sure how much the Matildas are kind of expecting it, considering that Scotland-friendly back in March or April, I can't remember the exact date, I do apologise. Yeah, they would have played that game expecting, oh, yeah, this is going to be similar to Ireland. That Ireland opening match, I think, if I'm speaking about it on in terms of the impact for the World Cup, it was almost like the perfect matchup in a way where you've got two sides that, you know, may not be the most technically, may not have the most world class players, but you've got two sides full of players that are willing to die for their country in a way, willing to run through brick walls for their country, and it, it really made for this robust action packed game where, yeah, you may not may not have had a lot of goals. There may not have been a lot of chances created, mainly because Ireland was so robust at the back and so well organized at the back. But it did create a spectacle in its own right. I am going to go on to Ireland just before we do move on because there is still plenty more in this World Cup to talk about. But that Ireland backline, the way they did organise themselves, Matt, how frustrating would that have been for Tony Gustafsson and the Matildas?
1: Look, I think uh, you know, with with the robust use of a lot of their wing play, especially with McCabe, there was always going to be an error of, of how they were going to set up. Um, they started the game with the three-four-three, didn't they? Um And I feel like the five three two system is something that they'd been utilizing a bit better, and especially with how defensively minded they were going to be there was a bit of a bit of a question mark there, but they approached the game exactly how you wanted them to, like Alicia mentioned with a lot of a lot of their pressing a lot of what they were doing off the ball was right, and actually a similar kind of vibe with what we saw with Jamaica with that nil-nil draw as well. You just see teams playing good tournament football being so well disciplined defensively and uh, And just really frustrating a team that that, under usual circumstances, would be a lot better in those uh sort of moments where you're where you're attacking and you're trying to put on the pressure um but because you're in that tournament scenario, a lot of that gets flipped on its head, and that's where i thought Ireland, island If anything you you had a few moments there where you were kind of on edge thinking you know that the goal's going to come from them if there's going to be a goal, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that we didn't have the star power going forward right so I think Ireland actually to their credit, nailed their game plan very, very well. And and it was more or less just a case of um, the Matildas being more clinical in, in that moment and also being fortunate enough to have gotten the penalty as well.
0: Alicia, one question before we do move on. Uh, Nigeria next for the Matildas. Um, yeah. Does that island game change anything in your mind of how we should set up or is it just full steam ahead, uh, same game plan, same movement, just that same curve course?
2: Yeah, look, um Nigeria, I've been saying this for about six months, I reckon. <laughs> they are um, a team that will give us a lot of trouble. And I've been saying this for a little while. African teams, by nature, they're, they're automatic disruptors of play. That's, that's a strength. Uh, we saw that with South Africa against Sweden. We saw it with Zambia against Germany. Um, they're very good at that and they're very good at absorbing pressure all across the park and that just comes down to physicality in strength but also the athleticism so they can get caught out a couple of times and, and players can get in behind but they've got the athleticism to make up ground and, and actually start to to regroup and i think we saw that against canada with nigeria uh, their their defense was really really solid and if you look at absorbing pressure I haven't seen the stats in it, but the amount of times that they weren't in possession and were able just to absorb pressure was really impressive. Um, if I was to look to make changes, it's more around Asisat uh, Ashwala up front. She's obviously the Barcelona star striker for Nigeria. In, against Canada, she didn't get too much feed. Um, Tony Payne wasn't actually able to connect with her as well as I thought, but um, she's a dynamo right, and she has the strength to hold off the likes of our best defenders. She's she's very, very good. Um That aside, take Ashwala out of the picture where I thought Nigeria were particularly strong and maybe not as polished but strong was in their ability to turn defence into attack really quickly, their athleticism just to press forward and, and immediately just go from quite literally 10 at the back or 9 at the back just in that defensive mode, side to side, just shuffling across seeing it out, shuffling across, seeing it out against Canada, and then bang, win the ball and break forward. And also the pace of their midfield and their attackers to go with that was really impressive. The Matildas do need to be wary because um, our centre-backs, I think, are improved, but Alana Kennedy hasn't had too much game time. It's no secret. Claire Hunt, fairly fresh at this level, and take nothing away from her. I think she's been brilliant since she's come in at the centre-back role. Um, But our game is to naturally... Bomb forward. Carpenter and Catley will go and we'll be a little bit exposed, I think. So we just need to be aware of that um, because Nigeria, don't write them off.
0: It's been um, a bit of a trend that we've seen this World Cup, actually. A lot of those sites, particularly coming from Africa, we've seen it with South Africa, Zambia. Uh, if you're looking outside of Africa, Haiti actually did really well against England. We will mm. get to that in a minute. But um, some headlines going around the tournament so far. And the biggest one, Matt, you did mention it before, New Zealand, their opening match, their first ever win at a FIFA Women's World Cup. You are definitely a big fan and very knowledgeable as well about um, our brothers and sisters across the Tasman and New Zealand and Oceania in football altogether. So, look, I want you to speak on this for a minute about what this does mean for New Zealand, because you saw the scenes afterwards, the reaction of the players when the final whistle went, everyone kind of running in, celebrating, reminiscent of what Jamaica did last night after just getting a point. But um. Look, Matt, you'll be able to speak to it better than I can.
1: Yeah, I could I be know. wrong here, um, but uh, there was a, a very famous point that New Zealand got in injury time in the Germany World Cup in 2011, I believe it was, against Mexico. The goal scorer that day was, uh, or one of the goal scorers that day, uh, was Hannah Wilkinson, if I'm not wrong. Um, and it was quite fitting then that, you know, given it had been so long since that, it had actually won a World Cup, right? I mean, the, the Women's World Cup has been around since the 90s and... Obviously, with, with, you know, Australia being in the IFC at the time, I mean, it was just, yeah, it's been been a long time coming for New Zealand to actually be a competitive force at a Women's World Cup. And so it's fitting then that in Auckland, you know, that they had this shooting that happened uh, a few hours earlier. There's just a lot of that emotional edge in the game. And what I was really impressed with was the fact that not only did uh, New Zealand more or less just match the tempo straight off the bat, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And you could just feel that there was no way that, New Ze- uh, sorry, that Norway were going to really be sort of dominating the game progressively as they were sort of tipped off to do and that that to me said that the game was always going to be in the balance but it was particularly impressive that you know the likes of um you know hannah wilkinson and, and paige satchel um you know when, when she came on ava riley at the back all of these girls that had sort of been you know really uh, stalwarts of the team for, for a little while and talent that had been promised to really step up for the occasion they stepped up and did exactly what was asked of them. The nerves and the occasion just didn't get to them at all. And that was that was really what was impressive to me, is that we saw the football firms that we needed to see in that moment. And it was tipped off by the fact that, as I said, you know, Hannah Wilkinson, who was there all those years ago, someone who plays for Melbourne City, someone who really is at the heart and soul of football in this entire region, was the one to step up in that moment so as far as i'm concerned you know they they did exactly what what they needed to do and, and we should actually be really proud because they're in they're in a position here where they play the philippines next and with all due respect to alan stagis's philippines i mean they have some incredible players but they're, they're an opportunity here to grab six points and, and be in a position where they can top the group which is incredible
0: and it wouldn't have been on many people's minds before get into the tournament to see new zealand actually not necessarily make it out of the group, but to dominate it in the way they have, if they can get six points from six from the first two games. Yeah. That's massive. And look, Norway's meant to be, well, they're not meant to be. They are one of the world's best sides, especially when it comes to women's football. Alicia, I'll pose this one to you. Are you expecting Norway to kind of, I won't say fall over the way they did, but struggle to handle New Zealand, particularly on the counter the way, and let New Zealand play the way they did?
2: Yeah, look, surprised, yes, but this has been the story of the World Cup, and I think New Zealand just set the tone. Match one, day one, Uh let's let's throw a surprise in there. I was very surprised that they were able to topple Norway. Just the the stature of the Norwegians is is pretty big in women's football and European football.
0: Or more World but, Cup champions as well.
2: Correct, correct. So I, I'm with Matt. I think. Um, what the Kiwis do particularly well is um, come together in times where perhaps everything's against them. They're a fighting nation by nature, and I've spoken a bit about Eden Park. How do you not perform as a New Zealander on hallowed ground like Eden Park? I think there's something about that stadium that just draws out the absolute best in any New Zealand team, doesn't matter what sport, but we see it so often in rugby, and I was so pleased to see it happen uh, at Eden Park for football. Um, because that is a moment that will go down in New Zealand uh, sporting folklore, I'm sure.
0: A lot of cultural significance around that, with the ground, the day, the occasion, obviously what Matt said um, before as well, what happened earlier in the day in Auckland as well, um, all really built up into what is going to be one of the stories of this World Cup moving forward as well, what we take out of it, I guess. Another big story that happened last night, Alicia, I do believe you were working on this game as well, France and Jamaica. Um, Jamaica, um, nil law, sorry.
2: I was, I was working on this one, so. surprise um, package.
0: A little bit of a surprise yeah. package. Um, another performance, definitely a little bit robust. France definitely struggled in the final third. I was, um, listening to the daily kickoff as well, and they point out something that I didn't actually notice myself during the game, but, um, France were definitely forced to make a lot of crosses from deep, and that definitely didn't suit their style. I'm looking for a bigger forward. Obviously, they're missing Cototo this tournament as well, which isn't any help, but considering the, quality disparity between France and Jamaica on paper, at the very least, didn't look like it last night. A very, very big point for Jamaica. At least I'm going to point this to you because one of the things that fascinated me most last night was the battle going on between Khadija Shaw and Wenny Renard. And oh. Khadija Shaw looks very good for most parts of the game, but in the end, Wenny Renard will definitely think she got the better of her considering Khadija Shaw didn't actually get to finish the match. But um, you definitely had an interesting take on Rennie on Twitter that I saw probably only a few hours ago now. <laughs> But um, a lot of people complaining about um, Canadian Shaw's second yellow. They didn't believe it was as such. But um, you definitely pointed some stuff out from Winnie, and it definitely relays in my mind a little bit. When I first saw the challenge in real time, I thought it was a foul. Yeah. It might have been a little bit of play acting from from Winnie Renard. I'm not too sure. I'm not the referee. I'm not going to make that decision. But how do you see it?
2: Look, I, I put it out there on Twitter because I think it's easy sometimes to look at the immediate situation and not taking, um, at that stage, Wendy Renard is a very, very experienced player for France. She's a very, very experienced player for Lyon. And um, she's not stupid, right? So if you're at nil all against a team like Jamaica, you know you've got Brazil next, right? How do you uh, have impact? Knowing that you won't play Jamaica again, but how do you milk impact and she did um I thought it was a foul, definitely was a foul. I thought it was reckless from Bunny Shaw. I thought the easiest thing is just to show her out and and she could have definitely held Renard physicality in that space um but yeah, my take on it was essentially that Renard milked it for all that she possibly could. There's a little bit of acting there, absolutely, but if you're thinking about the next match and if you're on the trot, France has lost to the Matildas. They've now drawn with Jamaica and they've got Brazil on Saturday in Brisbane. I see that as, oh, they'd be nervous. The French going into that match. It is a must win for the French without a doubt. For me, that is a must win match to assert themselves in this tournament. Um, but they've softened the impact of Jamaica, which means Jamaica's goal scoring impact is slightly weakened with the sending off of Bunny Shaw. And it means when, if it comes down to goal average for me, um France have put themselves in a very, very, well, not a very good, but a better position um, if it comes down to points and goal difference. So, um, look, foul, yes. Reckless, yes. Renard milked it, yes. Was it smart? I think we'd all do it.
0: No, look, I can't imagine there'd be many <laughs> people not wanting to do that in that situation. You're taking out another uh, rival's best player and definitely their focal point, their side, everything that Jamaica did well went mm. through Bunny Shaw. So Correct. for her to, for, to lose her in the ga- one game that Jamaica were banking on three points for as well in Panama. Yeah. Obviously, at the time of recording, we don't actually know how that Brazil and Panama game went just yet. We don't actually know how well Panama will look in this tournament. Yeah. But, um, either way, Jamaica would have looked at that game and gone, that's the three points we need. Now they've Correct. got to do it without their best player. Correct. Um, just a point yeah. on France as well. And Matt, I'm going to throw this to you because we've seen a lot of her Renard at the last men's world cup. Um, him with Saudi Arabia. Obviously, Saudi Arabia weren't one of the top sides of the tournament, but Herb Renard really got the best out of him. Now we're seeing him with one of the top sides of the tournament. Is there any warning signs for you?
1: It's a bit of a loaded question, if I can be honest with you. Um, look, I'm, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about the way that they had sort of tactically approached the game, and I think that they were just a lot, a lot of it was that they were just sort of caught off by how well um, Jamaica's structure was. It goes back to what I said at the start. It's just a lot of this tournament football, a lot of teams playing really safe. And a lot of these attacking sides in that situation can be caught off guard by that. I don't think I've went into the game expecting a lot from Jamaica, and when you've got the Swabi sisters at the back, you're always a bit of a threat to to sort of polish teams off at the back, right? So, yeah, I think in, in terms of his sort of tactical management and the way he's approached the situation, look, it hasn't gone swimmingly for France at all, has it? Um, that, that loss to the Matildas, um was maybe a bit of a red flag and a bit of a warning sign. But I think that game more or less came down to the way that Jamaica set up set up being particularly good, more so than, than France having any sort of um, you know, really concerning major problems. I mean, yeah, there was a there was a lot that um, you know, with their with their combinations and their transitional play that you can maybe pick out. I I don't know. I, I still I still think that from a from a French perspective, um, they'll be able to sort of grow and grow into the tournament. And a really big part of this is um, you know, when they play Panama, right, that's that's an opportunity to play confidently, to be a lot more attacking and knowing that you're not facing as formidable as a side as Jamaica. So there's room to grow there in playing, um, you know, a significantly weaker side. But I don't know, it's it, it's one game and, and in isolation you can't pick it and necessarily say that it's going to be a major red flag going forward.
0: I think I was more kind of looking into, obviously, the Matilda's result before and suddenly it's two results back to back where... Now he's left France in a position where, you know, now they are going to have to fight for a result against Brazil. And that Brazil side, there's it, going to be that bit of an emotional story with Marta playing the last World Cup. So it's definitely not going to be a straightforward ride for them. But we'll, we'll move on because there's one player that I really want to talk about before we kind of get into the real crux of the discussion. And that's uh, Melky de Mournay from Haiti. I really hope I got that pronunciation correct. Someone's already um had a go at me about my pronunciation for Haiti. I don't really know how to... Just, just... just
1: say Haiti. Haiti. Most people just say Haiti. Yeah. Thank
0: you, Matt. Like, you're here. But um, look, Melky de Mornay, fantastic performance against England. And yeah, sure, look, Haiti didn't get the result that they wanted in England. They ended up coming away with a win. But I thought she was easily one of the best players on the pitch. And every World Cup has that one young player that really makes a name for themselves. And Courtney one was someone that I was kind of tipping as a, from a Matilda's point of view to do that. But there's also the fact that there's going to be a world-class player five, ten years down the track that everyone in women's football is kind of oaring at and we can track back them back to our own shores where they really made a name for themselves. Alicia, what, one, what did you make of her performance and two, how good is it to see that story play out in our own shores?
2: And in Brisbane, the hometown, I thought it was brilliant. Um Look, I think she's put her hand up loud and clear, not only for country, for Haiti, but against a team like England, right? So you the depth that that English team has on the pitch is, is huge. And for her to not just sort of stand out in, in snippets, she was involved in so much and put England under so much pressure as well, which I thought was fantastic to see. Um, aside from the tournament, and we expect well, – that Haiti won't make it through the group stages. It's They're debutantes, but also if we look at um, resource-wise and, and federation-wise, it's been quite a disruptive journey for them to even be here um, and competing. Full credit to them, though, because how they held England was superb, absolutely superb. Um, but going back to Dumonet, I, I look at her and I go, there are scouts here at the moment, like at any World Cup. Uh, who's going to get her first? The NWSL? or the WSL in in the UK because they're the the heavyweight competitions and, of course, the La Liga as well. I'd imagine that there will be scouts looking at her to see uh, what her next steps may be in her career. She's still quite young, but how do we grow, nurture and evolve a player like that so that in four years' time she's just groundbreaking and hopefully Haiti as well has improved on the resource front.
0: Well, word on the street is Leon may even be looking to make a play for her as well. And that would be considering Leon's standing and history in women's football. That would be massive to be kind of at the number one club almost, at least historically.
2: Yeah. But, and um, good on her. That's fantastic. If that's, if that comes to fruition, awesome.
0: Well observed too. And you could imagine a performance like that might yeah. add, um, a couple extra zeros to the transfer fee if that, that does <laughs> eventually. It's always a lovely story, these things at the World Cup. And, um, look, one thing that's a trend that we have seen in this World Cup and, Something we've kind of already spoken to is this kind of gap between the top teams, well, almost like the haves and the haves, not the top teams at the World Cup, and I guess what you'd call the minnows, you for lack of a better word. And we're not seeing the blowouts that we've seen in the last World Cups. We've seen some sides, yeah, look, maybe they are setting up a bit defensively to stop those kinds of score lines going. I think Vietnam is probably one of the better examples of that. Um, the last time USA played a uh, Southeast Asian side, it turned quite ugly, and Vietnam definitely made sure that wasn't going to be the the case this time around. But I'm going to pose this to both of you. There was a lot of controversy going to this World Cup, the fact that it did expand to 32 teams. Some people may have said it's too early, it's going to thin the quality out too much, but I think we're seeing there is this rapid growth in limits football, and it's showing that that quality between the top and the bottom teams is actually shrinking probably a little bit quicker than what we realise. Is that something you guys would agree with, or do these lack of maybe lack of blowouts just come down to purely how their teams are playing um matt i'll go for you first
1: yeah look if you take it on a group by group basis i think there is a few perceived whipping boys um or whipping girls i guess <laughs> uh about um in, in each group um but when you sort of look at, uh, at the stature of a lot of these teams and, and the few players that they have sprinkled around who have experience playing in other continents look i don't think um you know i don't think going into the tournament that we would have mostly agreed that 32 teams was was the right decision for now but i think it's a bit of an egg on your face moment right because vietnam vietnam didn't have that embarrassing scoreline i distinctly remember jess mcdonald saying on oh, the sport she'd tipped a 9-0 do now sitting there going it'll be five it'll be six didn't happen um you know the philippines i think were pretty comprehensively routinely beat by switzerland but it wasn't a case of of them being completely outclassed and as long as these pop four teams are able to hold their own that we've seen throughout the tournament. Um, No, no, there really isn't an inherent problem. Um, And I don't really see when you look at the groups we have to come, right. I mean, Panama, maybe a bit of a warning sign there, but group H is delicious, right? Like it just looks, it looks so good. And there's no, there's no, um, you know, teams there that you would have any concerns about. So when you sort of look at round one as a whole, I think we've, we've gotten what you would expect from, from a world cup um, male or female, right? So it's an overwhelmingly good sign for me and, and a real, um, sign of the progress of a lot of these a lot of these nations and uh, the seriousness of, of women's football globally. So it's a good thing.
0: Alyssa, you spoke before, especially the African teams and um, maybe unfairly in a way, the African teams are the ones we tend to perceive as the whipping girls in these groups, um obviously Nigeria, yeah. South Africa, and Zambia have been um hotly tipped to come last in each of their groups. Yeah. South Africa showed against Sweden that they are definitely no pushovers even going ahead, but um same kind of style of play that you spoke to before, where a lot of these sides are going to be quick on the counter. They're going to be athletic, they're going to be quick, and they're going to cause problems for a lot of teams. And South Africa was the best example of it. Nigeria may not have been able to get a goal in the end, but they definitely gave Canada some problems, particularly defensively. And even Zambia, despite that being the worst result of the tournament so far, for a lot of that first half, they did look quite good. Japan... I think they're, they're a different conversation in itself. They've just been, they will look fantastic. But you've obviously spoken about this already on um, on the show and you've spoken about it online as well. The fact that these sides aren't going to be pushovers. What's your take on all this as well? The fact that there is, that does look like there is this kind of shrinking gap in talent, and women's football across the world.
2: Look, I, I think it's brilliant. That's the first thing. I think it's very important that this shrink is happening and the teams are more closely matched. And I mean, we're talking about comparing teams like the USA with historical huge amounts of funding. Um, we, we look at teams like Germany who are in the same boat. We look at the investment all throughout Europe in in, in terms of their national teams and their competitions. Australia is not too far behind that either in reality. Um, I know there's the, the girls have put out the pay equity video. Um, there are teams in this tournament who have arrived on our shores with less support financially and, and otherwise and are performing. Um I I think the easiest way if we look at teams and we'll touch on the African nations because that's probably the thing that's popped up from my angle quite a fair bit, but uh Morocco, Zambia, Nigeria and South Africa. I watched that African Cup of Nations like a uh, online the whole the whole way through. We got no coverage here, but I watched it all through last year. Um one thing I think that people forget about the African countries is that we literally are born, I say we because I'm a well, South African background, but we're born with the ball essentially at our feet, particularly in the um, the, the, the black areas, particularly in South Africa. Rugby usually takes hold otherwise and cricket, but uh, that is quite natural to see that in a township in Africa. We, we know a lot about Brazil and the favelas and, and just the way they grow up with the ball at their feet and football is life. Africa is the same, it's very, very similar. You will go to South Africa, you go to Zimbabwe, you'll go to Nigeria, the Premier League is on, everyone's at a pub, everyone's got a Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Jersey on, and football is life. And so that is a big part of the culture. And I think um, what we kind of underestimate is um, Africa has so often produced some of the world's best athletes. Forget about football, some of the best athletes, the athleticism, the running, comes from Africa, um, and teams like Jamaica, I mean, some of the best sprinters in the world are Jamaican. When you translate that that natural ability into a, a sport like football, it, it, that, that athleticism is not trained, the instinct is not trained, it's there. What those teams need is resource, development, funding, and support. If they can start to get that four years' time, the gap will be smaller again, guaranteed.
0: One thing I'm going to post to Alicia, obviously speaking on um, your South African background, just in general in the continent itself, we've seen, at least on the men's side of the game, African football really grow into some of the nations really being a force around the world. Morocco obviously making the semi-finals of the Men's World Cup. Yeah. Do you think this tournament could al- almost signal kind of awakening a sleeping giant of sorts in women's football where these African sides in the women's space can kind of take those leaps similar to what the men have done in the last 10, 15 years?
2: Definitely. Watch Morocco tonight. I haven't turned it on yet. I'm not at the game, so I haven't turned anything on. But Morocco uh, were runners up against South Africa. They were sublime. And that stadium in Morocco was full. There was 80,000 people watching Morocco versus South, uh, South Africa in Morocco. For the Women's African Cup of Nations, um, I think there's a changing of the guard, and and to touch on Morocco as well, they are on the African continent, but they also connect so well with with the Arab world as well. They'll always refer to themselves as African Arabs or Arab Africans. So their representation is also really important on on the world in the world game for for men's and women's. And I'm I'm excited to see. I thought Morocco and Qatar were sublime
1: can i just can I just quickly get you to comment on Rosella Ayan, someone that we're expecting to do really, really well at this tournament?
2: What specifically about her what which <laughs>
1: well, just her st- her style of play you know what we can expect in that Morocco lineup
2: look, she's very very talented, very sharp, very, very good creatively, and also technically so for me, we don't know a lot about her. We don't see a lot of this type of football, but against a very clinical team like Germany. I think she can really shake things up. We saw it with South Africa and Sweden, um, Hilda Magaia as an example, um, and uh, Rufilo Yane as well. We we say Jane here, but Yane in South Africa. Um, they just have this ability to move with the ball and, and distribute and also be a headache in and around the goal. So it's exciting. If she can have impact against a team like Germany, anyone's game
0: um just to kind of wrap this up i've got a few questions i'm going to post to both of you and i'm going to answer them myself as well because i like to insert my opinion into these things um matt i'm going to go to you first um besides the matilda's of course who's been your favorite team so far who's been your favorite team to watch at least so far
1: everyone was was won over by uh jamaica last night there's no secret about that um you know new zealand as well obviously performing how how they were i think um a lot of people in Australia, because of Alan Stadic really picked the Philippines as our team in Group A, but we're all we're all football football fans now. Um, I would say, look, it's actually really hard for me to um, to speak on this because we're we're recording this slightly early, but literally all of the teams behind Germany in Group H are going to be really really exciting, um, and I'm really really looking forward to it. I'll be in WA for obviously the the decider um, between Morocco and Colombia, and I think that if there's teams to watch at this tournament, watch yeah what we'll watch group h very very intently and very closely um i mean italy and argentina played a played a really good game it's a shame that argentina lost because i think they're they're standing in the football world and what that team could have could 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 have achieved for performance football would have been massive bit of a bit of a blip now with them having uh, having lost that game 1-0 but I don't know. There's just there's teams and talent and individuals to watch everywhere. It's a it's a FIFA World Cup for goodness' sake. So you know you you um I'd implore anyone to just watch this tournament as closely and as intently as you can, and, and you'll find something that you like.
0: Uh Alicia, we've already spoke obviously with Captain Matilda's out, and you've spoken a lot about the African sides. Is there anyone else that's caught your right?
2: eye? Look, Japan are definitely up there. I think they've been the most clinical so far. The most um. I guess poised as well. Everyone else has looked like they've struggled just to get into the game, but Japan in full control and full flight, which was fantastic to see. Um, I'm interested to see the Germans <coughs> tonight, choking on that. Interested to see the Germans. I've picked them to, to go pretty far into this tournament. I think a final is not without, without saying they're, they're a very good side. And, um, the Spaniards, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see a little bit more from them. Obviously, they had a win, but, They've had some disruption. Can they, can they bring it together on the pitch? Slightly new faces, not, not the usual, but let's see how they go.
0: I can definitely get behind any Spanish talk clearly yeah, that, for anyone I yes. can see behind me. Um, look, if there's anyone that I'm going to pick out, Haiti, we already spoke about before. De was, has been one of my favorite players to watch outside of anyone that's Australian so far. Um, I think if there's one thing that I quite enjoyed actually, it was China's game against Denmark. I think. Maybe a lot, a lot of people with European biases might have thought, um, Denmark would come in and kind of sweep that game, or just on that, just just on that,
1: because I obviously, um, I was in Perth, obviously. You're Um, at that game, yeah. Yeah, um, the Chinese support was, uh, quite frankly, overwhelming. There were 17,000 people in the joint, and I would say, you know, upward of like five or six k were just die-hard Chinese fans that that had come over. Obviously, Shanghai uh beijing share a time zone with wa so it was very very convenient for them they packed that joint out and they were very very loud i don't know if if it was noticeable on tv but when they when they conceded right at the end there i can tell you most of the australians that were in the crowd were actually a little bit devastated because if that if that game had been a draw the group is the group is completely wide open right and what that could have done for china you know, given everything that's gone on with their football development, the football funding, you know, everything that sort of the government tried and failed to to execute, um, you know, a, a surprise from the Chinese team would have been massive. So a full testament to, to the support that they've brought to the tournament um, because it was just, it was very noticeable and very, very exciting to witness.
0: Um, it definitely wasn't just in the stadium. I was at the fan zone in Sydney and after all the English people left, everyone, all the Chinese people kind of came in. They had um, a couple of cultural performances as well to celebrate China's um, first game. Very, very good. Got some people in, 10 o'clock at night. Obviously, it wasn't as packed as what it was during the England game, but if I'm honest, it was a lot louder. So that's a testament to the, Ch- to the Chinese community in Sydney, in Perth as well, or anyone that's come over. And the fact is, they played good football that night as well. I was, I was ple- pleasantly surprised by how well they did. I thought they had plenty of opportunity to really go and take the game. And the fact that there was... A Canberra United striker starting up top for him as well, um, just kind of makes it all the more better in a way. Um, next question before we go on to the last one, um, anyone that's disappointed you so far, Alicia?
2: Oh, disappointment's a hard word, Cody.
0: <laughs> or anyone so that's maybe not as piece. good as what you thought, so.
2: So early in the piece, um, disappointed. Look, I I wouldn't say it's disappointing. I, I thought England were underwhelming. I thought they were and I hate to use that term because it's first games, it's first hit-outs, but um, they'll also be disappointed with that performance against Haiti. But we, we spoke about how well Haiti actually performed themselves, so I try not to take anything away from from those teams who are being competitive. But for me, England were the most, so far, underwhelming performance, I think, Um but I, I don't think it's it's typical of of the English style of football as well. Like they usually just grind out these very low scoring wins and and matches, and they play a very simple style of football, and it's it's very similar to the men's game as well. Um, a plethora of stars on, on a team sheet, and then sometimes their ability to convert that and and into success has always been a bit of a struggle. So, look, I hope that's not the case because I do like what the English side did do in the Euros, but. So far, they'd be my, my most underwhelming.
0: an interesting one because that's a performance that almost looks like, yeah, it wasn't the best, but they've grinded out the win and it could almost see them go on. Uh, it's still a starting point to build on. Like at the end of the day, they've got their first win, they've got the three points, and maybe it will get better for them during the tournament. But it also more, that performance does come down to how well Haiti played as well. I, I do apologize for bringing them back up again. Not really, actually. I do like talking about Haiti. Um, Matt, anything to chime in there?
1: Yeah, look. Um, I recall the hullabaloo from uh, from media the world over about Zambia's win over Germany being like a really, really big potent shake-up. I I know um, a footballer or uh, well, football reporter um and someone who's quite heavily involved in football in Norway who tipped Zambia to get out of that respective group um, ahead of either Spain or Japan, and they conceded the five goals <laughs> well what can you say about about the fact that that's that whole theory has sort of just been flipped on its head um but to be honest i don't know how much of it was yeah look like, okay you can't you can't really um paint a pretty picture of a five nil loss but japan were lethal right like let's not let's not beat around the bush japan were particularly lethal on the day a very cold day in hamilton i don't know how that would have affected um their preparation as well for zambia but yeah, quite, quite disappointing that they were the one team that's sort of been comprehensively beaten given, given, um, the lead up to, to the tournament for them.
0: Look, I'm going to track it back to a game we've already spoken about in that kind of opening game between New Zealand and Norway. There, there is expectation around Norway naturally. We do expect them to always be there and thereabouts at top. And, you know, we spoke about England and it might, we can kind of put it down to, yeah, maybe they're just building into the tournament. But I think with Norway, there's, as much as it's only one game in, there's, warning signs in the way that this may not be a good tournament for them, and suddenly they're actually going to need a positive result in their next game. Otherwise, this um World Cup's going to slip away from them very quickly. And like we said before, if New Zealand's able to get six points from six, Norway will need three points straight away again, or else this, their tournament's ending early. And not in a way a lot of people would have expected it. But final question for you both, and I think this one's going to be quite an easy one to answer for both of you. Alicia, we'll go to you first um the surprise of the tournament so far even though it is early days and can we expect more and maybe some of the teams that haven't played yet do you think you're going to have an impact in that space
2: you're asking me all the hard questions
0: <laughs> matt, that's why we're what you on that's why we're you on
2: I, <laughs> yeah, know, but... I know i know and matt what's your opinion on this one i'm intrigued because i feel like i'm <laughs> in this comm space all the time and i get all the insight i i want to hear it from your angle as well because sure. i've got my opinion but i just want to see how far off i am well,
1: I I I don't know. I mean I mean, Cody, if I'm if I'm understanding the way you phrased the question correctly, you just want who we think will be the surprise of the tournament, right?
0: In a way, or well, who's surprised yeah. you so far, but yeah, who's gonna be the surprise of the tournament, I guess, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, okay. I look, I, I think I think we've seen we're in a bit of a pickle of a situation here where I think we've still seen enough routine results. But I'll 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 at least it will be will be actually quite glad to hear this simply because of the way that they played. I'm, I'm actually going to say South Africa. We've seen we've seen Argentina go down, so they'll they'll feel the need to get up and, and play really well against South Africa. We've seen Italy not be as convincing as they wanted to be in that game, and we've seen Sweden be quite shaky, which opens up the the, the door for South Africa to really mess that group about. And um, if we're looking at Group G in isolation as um, as one to really watch out for, South Africa stand out as a team that can just wreak havoc in that group um, because I, I dare say, given that they had the lead and everything, all four teams have a point to prove and all four teams are really disappointing so it opens the group up um and for South Africa to really make an impact in the position that they're in and I'll say it again Cody because I've, I've firmly believed this for the many months going into the tournament um, since the draw happened anything in group H literally group H is it, it's right there it's starting right now it, it will it will deliver in a way that we just, just can't expect it to because South Korea and their influence on Asian football is a little bit up in the air. Colombia, we don't know what we're going to expect, but we know that they're going to give it their all being a South American nation, the nation that was our rival big to host this World Cup. I mean, there's a lot of skin in the game there, right? Morocco, Morocco's investment in women's football has been incredible for an Arab nation. They're going to have the first player to play at the tournament wearing a hijab running out on on the, on the pitch I mean just so many aspects of group H that I just can't can't get out of my head and given that it is starting right now we, we best end this podcast and <laughs> go and watch it
2: <laughs> <laughs> I watch the game look I, I'm glad Matt I try not to be too biased with with the roots but I, I do think South Africa and I've spoken on it a bit will have the potential to shake things up and and be the surprise package of the tournament that possibly no one is really expecting and haven't seen coming i think that's that's definitely on the cards morocco is another one for me but like you said both of those groups they can be thrown wide open um if there's just that one good result against a team like sweden or germany and we saw that challenge yesterday um and you know what these teams that are getting close they must be so confident as well like i just would take so much confidence even with the loss yesterday two one to sweden south africa yes disappointed but how confident are you now for Argentina and Italy, you
0: know? So, yeah. Definitely a lot to take from those games. Before the tournament, I probably would have said Jamaica. And depending how they go against Panama, if they can get that result without Bunny Shaw, sure. if they can, I do think there's a possibility that they maybe don't get out of the group, but they're definitely going to have something to say, especially on that final day. Um, Brazil may be there for the taking, depending on how they go tonight and against France. I think there's, there's a lot to play in that group, in that group. So I think that that's one to watch as well. And hopefully Jamaica, even without Bunny Shaw, as much as we can say it's going to be an issue for them, it's also an opportunity for someone else to step up. I think as long as they kind of see it in that way, it's, it, it'll still be a good tournament for them. And hopefully that maybe they do get out of the group. It'd be good to see, um, a smaller nation knock off one of the heavyweights in women's football. It'll be a great story that we could have on our shores. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's enjoying world cup in our own backyard um that is all we have time for today um alicia matt thank you both for joining me especially alicia thank you so much for coming on the front page football podcast today thank
2: you thanks for having me guys
0: hopefully you've enjoyed it um that is all we have time for we're gonna go watch the um morocco germany game now um just before we go
2: what's the score prediction considering we're not watching at the moment
0: yeah i have no idea what's going on so far i'm gonna say well, I reckon Germany by two or three. Uh, I know there's a good story around Morocco, but uh, uh, Germany, I
2: know, I know. You, uh, Matt? Yeah, let's let's go for a Germany two
0: one or three one. It sounds a lot more Alrighty. exciting. Alicia?
2: Cool. Germany two
0: 0 Germany. I like the
2: story too. I do, but Germany, you know, this is gonna look
0: we, this is we gonna we look really leave. bad if um, we post this tomorrow after a Morocco win. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yep, that's all. So, that's um everything for today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Be sure to follow the front uh, front page football socials. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, Threads, I believe, we are on as well because we do need to deal with another social media platform. Uh, be sure to follow us all there. If you're on Spotify, give us a five-star rating. If you're on any listening platform, give us a five-star rating. And as our host, Christian Marchetti, usually says, we will see you in the next one.